0: of our Lord Jesus Christ does not begin in the New Testament. It does not begin with an angel coming and visiting a virgin and telling her that she's going to bring forth the Son of the Most High God. It doesn't begin with shepherds and wise men. It doesn't begin with John the Baptist's announcement the story of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, actually begins in the Old Testament. You need to understand this. All of Scripture is centered around Jesus. And if you leave your understanding of Jesus in just the Old, or just the New Testament, rather, you'll be limited in your grasp of his radiance and his beauty. God is a preacher and in the New Testament he used doctrine and he used theology and he used clear messaging but in the Old Testament God used shadow type allegory and metaphor but the sermon was still the same it was all about Jesus. God, in his wisdom, used the lives and the circumstances of Old Testament characters. And God was using their circumstances and what they went through to whisper the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. Whereas the New Testament shouts about Jesus, the Old Testament whispers it. But the Apostle Paul said in the New Testament, speaking about the Old Testament, that the Old Testament is a tutor, a school teacher that leads us to a deeper and clearer understanding of Jesus Christ that if you only try to behold the radiance of Jesus, the brightness, the the scripture said we went through it Wednesday night, that he is the brightness of God's image. If you only try to behold that by looking in the New Testament, your eyes won't be able to capture the fullness of the image. Now, I've known that intellectually, but yesterday I got to I got to go through something that caused it to be revealed to me experientially. <clears throat> I took my family to breakfast yesterday morning. And when we were coming out, everybody was on the patio of the restaurant <laughs> looking at the eclipse. And, uh, and uh, I tried to look at it. too bright. My eye couldn't couldn't capture the image. But there was this fellow there that had these dark dark lenses. And he said, "Try looking at it with these." And I put those dark lenses on and something amazing happened. I was able to see that eclipse clear and beautiful. And all of a sudden this revelation dropped deep into my spirit. Christ is too bright for the eyes of your soul and your understanding to behold him simply in the New Testament you need some dark dark lenses some shadowy lenses you wouldn't think that dark lenses would help you see better unless the object that you're looking at is too bright for you to see and so God uses the shadows and the dark lenses of the Old Testament to help give us more of Jesus than our eyes can behold in the New Testament so when we read about Joseph understand you're reading sermon notes from God the Almighty You're reading a masterpiece of him preaching the gospel through the life of this Old Testament figure. So when we read about Joseph, yes, we're reading about a person who really lived. We're reading about what really happened to him, but we're also reading God's sermon. We're also reading about Jesus. Now, I just go ahead and tell you, there's over 33 parallels. Between Joseph and Jesus, I'll give you seven of them. Just the, the seven that are my favorite between Joseph and Jesus. Just to prove to you that through his life, God the Father is preaching about his son. Both Joseph and Jesus, you can say this about both of them. They were both the beloved son. The favorite son of the Father. You remember when John baptized Jesus, a voice came out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son. That word there, beloved, means my darling son, my precious son, my baby, my favorite. This is my beloved son. Well, Joseph was the beloved son of his father. Now, let let me take a a rabbit trail, and I don't like doing that, but let me take a rabbit trail because it might be interesting for you to know. The Bible said that Jacob, who was the father and the patriarch of the family, Sat down himself and made a coat of many colors for his son. A few things about this. Why would he do that? It's because when you really love somebody, when your heart is full of love for somebody, love has a side effect, love gives love aches and hungers for some sort of external expression of how it feels on the inside. I I got you this just as a little token, just as a little sign, just as a little representation on the outside of how I feel about you on the inside. Side note, don't ever tell me you love anybody you won't give nothing to. So so Jacob wants to give him something, right? But he doesn't want to give him something that he bought. He wants to give him something that he made with his own hands. Now, you you have to understand there's something, uh, there's a a buzzword going around, not as popular now, it was trending a few months ago. There's a buzzword now called toxic masculinity. You familiar? Toxic masculinity. Uh, and what they're trying to communicate with that is men being too masculine men men going too far with masculinity and there's different sides of opinions on it i'm not going to get into that but the the point is 50 years ago you know when when my when my grandfather was in his heyday and my uncles and even my great uncles uh you want to talk about masculine men there were certain things they wouldn't do because they, they felt like maybe it encroached a little bit on their masculinity. In some ways, maybe it was toxic because I have, some, I have some family members who are males. They wouldn't even hug their boy or kiss their boy on the cheek or tell their boy they loved them because it, in their mind, violated Masculinity. There, there was a real sense years and years ago that you had to carry yourself a certain way and, and you had to stay out of certain positions if you were a man or a man's man. Now, if it was like that 50, 60 years ago, I want you to think about Bible culture. severe, severe Attention was paid to being masculine, to being strong, to being dominant. They would not do certain things in their culture. If it, if it looked like that, that a woman should be doing it, or it was a woman's place, or it was a woman's role, you would not see the man, especially the patriarch and leader of the family. You wouldn't see them doing certain things. It's why in the story of the prodigal, jesus when he told the story of the prodigal son he shocked his audience when he said when the father saw his son coming back that he ran to him well in the middle east in 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 this time period that jesus was in the men wore long tunics and in order to run you'd have to pull it up and bare your legs which was a sign that violated masculinity. In other words, every Jewish listener would have known that the father of the family, the leader of the family doesn't run. I got people that'll run for me if running's needed, but the father doesn't run. But in Jesus' parable, the father bore his legs and he went running and he fell on his boy and he kissed his boy and he was so happy that he was home. I bring all that up to say that For Jacob, the leader of the family, to sit down on a stone and take out a needle and thread and stitch this coat together by hand himself was an extravagant sign of his love and his adoration for Joseph. They were both, Jesus and Joseph, they were both the beloved, cherished, treasured sons of their father. Number two, they were both sent by their father to their brothers. Joseph didn't go visit his brothers because you never like just going and visiting people that you know don't like you. Joseph was sent by his father to go check on his brothers, just like Jesus was sent by his father to come see about us. Both Joseph and Jesus, number three, were rejected by his own. Joseph was rejected by his own. Jesus was rejected by his own. Both of them were stripped of a valuable garment. Joseph's brothers, before they threw him in the pit, they stripped, they tore this garment off of him. And Jesus, before he goes to the cross, is stripped of his garment. And we know his garment was valuable because the Bible says the Roman soldiers gambled for his garment at the foot of the cross. Next, they were both betrayed by inner circle and sold for the price of a slave. In Joseph's day, the price of a slave was 20 pieces of silver. In Jesus' day, the price of a slave was 30 pieces of silver. Both were imprisoned between two criminals. Joseph is imprisoned between Pharaoh's butler and his baker. Jesus is imprisoned on the cross between two thieves and in both cases Joseph's case and Jesus's case one of the criminals is saved and one of the criminals is lost both were raised up out of the prison and were seated at the right hand of the throne Joseph was raised up out of the prison and seated at the right hand of Pharaoh Ruling and governing with authority over all things in Egypt. Jesus was raised up out of the grave. Ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. With all authority and all power given unto his name. Joseph's suffering gave him the authority and position. To save his family from death when famine came. Jesus' suffering gave him the authority and position to save us from hell. Now, through dim, dark lenses of Joseph's story, we see the rejection, the betrayal, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ whispered by God, the great orator. Understand God himself is preaching about Jesus using Joseph. Now his point, his message has three points. The primary, the primary point is he wants to preach the gospel, but the next point is he wants you to know that God's purpose for a person's life cannot be thwarted. That's true for Joseph. No matter what they did to him, God's purpose for his life could not be thwarted. That's true for Jesus. No matter what they did to him, God's purpose for his life could not be thwarted. And that's true for you too. No matter what comes against you or who comes against you, God's purpose for your life cannot be thwarted. Even if you are depressed and disgusted by the circumstances of your life. Even if you are pressed down, full of anxiety, going through things that you can't explain and you don't have an answer out of. Ultimately, God's purpose for your life cannot be thwarted thwarted. And as we look at the scriptures today, we'll see this layered lesson, these three points. Number one, the parallels of Jesus. Two, the purpose of God prevails and it can't be thwarted. But God's got one more point. He wants you to know that God uses hard places. Now the rest of this message is dedicated to those of you Who walked in here this morning and in your life, you're just in a hard place. I want to show you three hard places Joseph went through. Number one, the pit. The pit. This is the hard place of betrayal. In Genesis thirty-seven twenty-three, it says, when he had come to his brothers, they stripped him of his tunic of many colors. Verse 24, they took him and they cast him into a pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Notice that, that it came from his brothers because it can't be betrayal unless they're close. And I want you to sense and see how shocking it is for this level of pain to come from that level of relationship. For somebody that should love you to hate you. Have you ever been shocked by somebody that was supposed to love you and found out they hated you? You know, I found out over the years, betrayal has a taste to it. You get betrayed deep enough and you get cut deep enough, there's a taste that comes up in the back of your mouth with betrayal. And if you've ever been betrayed, I want you to know the underlying spirit, the underlying motivator of betrayal, because it brings up a powerful spiritual law. Any person That betrays another person is operating out of a spirit of pride. Betrayal cannot take place without the underlying spirit of pride. You cannot hate someone else without operating in pride. You cannot be jealous of someone else without operating in pride. And if you are going through a betrayal, or if you're still carrying the wounds of a betrayal, I want to encourage you. You won't stay in the pit of betrayal because your enemy actually triggered a spiritual law when they betrayed you. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That word grace there in the Greek literally is translated favor. So the people that are betraying, they're operating in pride. God resists the proud, but after they betray you, God gives favor to the betrayed. If you have ever been betrayed, yes, it did hurt, but there was more than one thing happening at the same time. The moment they betrayed you, God lifted up a resistance against the betrayer and then God sent a favor to your life, a special favor to your life because of the betrayal. The scripture said when the Israelites were betrayed in Egypt and the Egyptians laid hard bondage on them, that the The more they afflicted them, the more God gave them favor. The scripture said that when God saw how Leah was hated, how Leah was betrayed, that He opened her womb. He blessed her and multiplied her and gave her favor. So when you get betrayed, I want you to understand what's also happening. When you get betrayed, a higher level of favor from God comes upon your life. This should also cause you to recognize when you ever get in the presence of somebody who's really favored. Be careful not to envy them, be careful not to be jealous of them because they are only that favored because they have been that betrayed. They only walk in what they walk in because they've had to limp through betrayal after betrayal after betrayal. But God always keeps count and every betrayal that you ever go through in your life will leave you standing with more favor from God than you had before the betrayer did their work. Somebody was making a, you know, a little comment, you know, just They're not bad people. They're not evil people. They were just making a little comment uh, about why this one particular thing was so easy for my dad and why he just had so much favor to be able to do that. And I said, because he's been stabbed in the back so many times, you don't get that level of favor without a lot of scars going up your back. It was the favor. It was the favor. Why was Jesus so favored that the Bible said God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name? It's because he was so betrayed. There, there, there's a correlation. There's a link between how you've been hurt and how God responds and what he responds with. Do you know that favor will get you in rooms that diplomas won't? You you don't hear what I'm saying. Do you know that favor will get you access to things that relationships and other vehicles won't? The favor of God is worth more in one moment than a lifetime of work. The favor of God on your life is worth more, but it, it only comes one way. Now, this next point is going to be hard to hear, but I want you to try to hear it. Because in the sweeping story of God's message of Joseph, we also find out that many times your betrayer is your usher. That, that you don't feel it at the time and you don't see it at the time. You don't even believe it at the time because it feels like nothing but hell and the devil himself. But, but actually, that betrayer is leading you to a place that you could not get to without what they did. Think about it. God's ultimate plan for Joseph's life is for him to be in Egypt, a foreign country, in so much power that he can feed his family when they're starving, okay? But Joseph would have never left his daddy's house if he had good brothers. Who going to leave a daddy that loves you that much? He's sitting on rocks sewing you a special coat. Telling you every day, you're my favorite. You're my favorite. All this belongs to you. We'll give the brothers the scraps. But all this, Joseph wouldn't have left. He'd have never ended up in Egypt if he had good brothers. Jesus would have never made it to the cross. Without that one disciple. Judas. Betraying him and stabbing him in the back. Leading us to the idea. That even though betrayal is a hard place, it's a pit. God uses hard places. You never see it in the moment. You have to live long enough to see how God used your enemies. You have to walk in faith long enough to see how God used the things that people did to try to destroy you and how he ultimately made it turn for your good. Look at somebody tell him God uses hard places. If you've lived long enough and you can look back and see at least one hard place God used in your life, I want you to encourage somebody next to you and tell them, I promise you, God uses hard places. All right. Hard place, hard place number two. If you didn't go through that first one, maybe you're going through this one. Hard place number two, Potiphar's house. This is the place of deception. It's the hard place of deception. Now, there's a lot of deception going on here, and we'll get to it. But but first of all, I want you to understand, the place itself is a place of deception. Now, deception happened in that place, but the place itself was a place of deception. You got to think, Joseph, his brothers hate him. He's always been, you know, his daddy's boy. And it's wonderful to be your daddy's boy. I've been my daddy's boy all my life. It's wonderful to be your daddy's boy. But there is a sneaking thought in the back of your mind that makes you question all of your accomplishments, that makes you question your value, you know, am I really good at that? Or... Did, did, did I just get here because my daddy loves me? You understand what I'm saying? Do I really have, you know, great wisdom and great leadership skills? You know, like everybody's been telling Joseph all of his life, you got wisdom, you got leadership skills, you're a great administrator, you're a great organizer, you're a great leader. Do I really have all that? Or was that just a continuation of daddy's love? Because if he'd make a coat for me like that, he'd talk real good about me too. And so there's this this wondering. And then there's the hatred of the brothers that throws him in a pit. And you gotta be thinking, maybe I'm not all that I was cracked up to be. If I'm so good, why would you hate me so much that you throw me in a pit and sell me as a slave? Maybe I'm not. You ever had those questions? Maybe I'm not. You know, They call it, in the corporate world, they call it imposter syndrome. How that you can work hard. You, you, can, you can strive to claw ahead and climb the ladder and finally get to a place of authority and a place of great position. But with the place comes this self-doubt and this creeping thought, maybe I'm an imposter. Maybe I don't really belong here. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe if everybody really knew my true education and my true level of experience, maybe I would be disqualified for the opportunity. Imposter syndrome. Well, Joseph's got to be dealing with some of that. But he gets to Potiphar's house and he starts off a slate. They look at the boy working. They look at how he organizes everything. They look at how he uh, has the potential to lead. And they look at the favor that's on his life. And he starts moving up the ranks. Very quickly, he gets to the point where Potiphar removes his slave status. says, I want you to, let me just read it to you. Genesis 39. Look at this. Look at this favor on this boy. Genesis 39, 1 through 15. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. I didn't mean to talk about you, but there is an anointing that can come on your life where God will make everything your hand touches prosper because you touched it. He saw that the Lord was with him. Watch. And that the Lord made all he did. Joseph wasn't making it prosper. Joseph wasn't making it work. Joseph was just touching it. And when God saw Joseph touch it, God made sure it prospered. And Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was... From the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had. That the Lord. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. Notice what God called him there. He doesn't call him Potiphar. Because when God says your name, it means you're in covenant. He doesn't say Potiphar. He said the Egyptian. But look at it. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake you can get in connection with the right one. You can get in relationship with the right one. There is benefits to finding somebody in your life that you know is operating in the favor of God because God will bless you by association with them. There is such a thing as blessed by association. Blessed just because I'm connected to that one. The, the, The Lord... Bless the Egyptian's house. This Egyptian is a pagan. Worshipping other gods. And the God of heaven. Is still blessing his house. For Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord. Was on all that he had. In the house. And in the field. Thus he left all he had. in Joseph's hand. Look at your hand. Your hand is blessed. Say that. Say my hand is blessed. Now, if you don't have confidence in that, you don't believe it. That's on you. I know something about my hand. My hand is blessed. He he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had. Except for the bread which he ate. He, he, put, he put his whole estate in Joseph's management. And Joseph grew it to the point that the man stopped counting. Just left it in his hand. The only thing Potiphar concerned himself with was what he ate. Now, uh, Joseph was handsome. in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Uh, Stay focused, Jason. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day. Be careful when you get favor. Favor attracts everything. Did you hear me? I said, be careful when you start using these principles and you get favor Because favor attracts everything. She spoke to him day by day. Every day this cougar's coming up to him. (laughs) Sleep with me. Sleep with me. Let's get it on. He did not heed her to lie with her, to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, you're going to lie with me. But he, he wiggled out of it. He left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. I want you to notice this is the second time He's had his coat torn off. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of the house, spoke to them saying, see, he has brought in a Hebrew to us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. lied on him and used his coat for evidence. That's happened before. You remember when his brothers took his coat off of him? They went and they dipped it in goat blood, took it back to Jacob and say, animal must have got, Why is everybody after this boy's coat? Because the enemy always misappropriates where the power is. And people do too. People will look at your life and they'll think it's what's on you that brings the blessing instead of what's in you. So God allowed Joseph's brothers to rip his coat off of him. God allowed this cougar to rip his coat off of him to prove what's Happening in Joseph's life isn't a result of what he's got on him. It's a result of what he's got in him. And what you've got in you is the one thing that the devil nor people have the power to take away from you. It's about what's on the inside. And and he, he gets thrown in prison. Because she lied. He loses his freedom. Now he's been gradually losing his freedom. There's something that happens to your psyche when you gradually start losing your freedom. First, he lost his freedom when they threw him in a pit. Couldn't get out. Then it went deeper. They sold him as a slave. He could move around, he could operate, but, but he was still, he still belonged to that household. Now he's incarcerated. He's behind bars. His life has been pressed all the way down. That leads us to the third place, which is the prison. This is the hard place of Depression. The pendulum swing has has been wild for Joseph, because remember when I started talking about imposter syndrome, he goes into Potter's house with imposter syndrome, wondering if he was really good at all that stuff or it was just his daddy's love that got him there. And he starts working and finds out I really am something. Nothing will oxygenate your soul like being in an environment where your gifts are celebrated. He's in an environment where he can try out his own stuff and nobody owes him a compliment because of love. He realizes there he is a success. And he goes from that to the prison. And the prison is a place of depression. Because just when you figure out you got the goods, just when you figure out how to move in life, just when you get enough wisdom to know how to set things up, all of a sudden, here comes this pressing. It's the place of depression. That's what depression means. It means pressed down. Now, the Bible talks about this in the book of Psalm 105. It says that they hurt Joseph's feet with fetters and he was laid in iron. The Hebrew said he was pressed with iron. And if you've ever gone through a season of depression, it feels like you've got bars and bars of iron pressing down on your mind, pressing down on your soul, pressing down on your joy, pressing down on your creativity, pressing down on you all the time. But the Bible says that that while he's, pressed down with iron. He does one thing in the jail that shows us how God intends for his people to deal with depression. The Bible says Joseph started serving the jailer. He went to the jailer and said, I can reorganize this whole jail for you. I can get this thing running. I can run this thing like a tight ship. just, just, Just let me help you. Let me serve you. The depressed Joseph is serving in his depression. If you write anything down today, write this down. Serving others is God's antidepressant. Serving others is God's antidepressant. If you are depressed, keep serving, and you will serve your way out of that depression. He's serving the jailer. The jailer. I'm going to read it to you. Go with me to Genesis 39, 22, and 23. The keeper of the prison... Committed to Joseph's hand, all the prisoners who were in the prison and whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. In other words, just like it worked on the outside, it's working on the inside. Like it worked when he was free, it's working when he's bound. Okay. So he's serving the jailer. He's serving the prisoners while he's depressed. If you can somehow muster the faith to start actively serving while you're depressed, you will serve your way to healing. You will serve your way to deliverance from that. You will serve your way to freedom. How does it happen? He's, he's serving one day, and two men who have been thrown in jail for committing crimes, they start losing their minds because they have dreams they can't they can't get away from. They have a dream that haunts them. You ever had a dream that haunted you and it just stayed with you? They had, they had dreams, and they couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. So Joseph said, okay, well, tell me, tell me what happened. And he sits and he listens to their dreams and he uses his gift to serve their need. They're depressed. He's depressed. But while he's depressed, he's helping them get undepressed. And the only thing he asks Just remember me, man. When you get out of this, this jail said, just please remember, remember me. And all of a sudden I see the correlation in God's masterful sermon. Masterful sermons will do callbacks to previous points to help layer the truth. Jesus was doing the same thing. He's been beaten nearly to death. He's hanging on the cross between two thieves. He's about to die. His soul is vexed. Father, why have you forsaken me? And yet at the same time, he starts serving somebody that's over here. He looked at the thief who had professed faith in him. And he said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Look at Jesus dying and still working and helping and saving people. This is what Joseph is doing. He's dying on the inside and he's still using his gift, serving and helping people. And the scripture says that that one day, the the baker, he died. Joseph prophesied that. But the butler, he got out. (laughs) It is so amazing. When people get out, they will forget who helped them while they were in. People get amnesia. You've helped a lot of people that forgot how you helped them when they were in. Nothing feels like being forgotten by somebody that owes you their freedom. And you're still bound. Did you hear me? Nothing feels like that. When you give somebody life, when you're in a hard place, you gave them life, and then they use that life to forget everything you did for them. The butler forgot Joseph, but God remembered. So when the butler wouldn't go to Pharaoh and tell him about Joseph, God gave Pharaoh a dream that made him start frantically looking all over his kingdom for somebody that had the interpretation. And the butler heard, Oh! When people will not honor you for what you have done. It's still worth serving them because they may forget, but God remembers. God can give a company a dream about you. God can give a judge a dream about you. God can give a lawyer a dream about you. We need to drop the case. God can give a CEO a dream about you. God can give the governor or the president a dream about you. He doesn't have to use conventional methods. So Joseph is still able to praise God, even though he's been forgotten, because when man forgets God, remembers. And see, what's going to be the key to his elevation? What's going to be the key to him getting positioned at the right hand of the throne? He's going to have to do the same thing up there that he did down in the dungeon. God trains you for your destiny in hard places. God trains you how to kill Goliath by throwing rocks at lions and bears on the backside of the desert with nobody watching and no accolades or praise for what you were doing. God trains you how to rule in hard places. God trains you how to be a millionaire with a $100 and how to manage it and what to do with it. God trains you how to conquer. He trains you how to be consistent. He trains you how to be a leader. He trains you how to care for people. He trains you how to go through crisis and he does it in hard places because God uses hard places so that when Joseph is brought up out of the dungeon and set before Pharaoh tell me the interpretation of this dream or I'm going to kill you he doesn't have to do anything new listen to me you won't have to do anything new where you're going you've been trained in hard places you don't have to learn anything that you don't already know to qualify, you've been trained in hard, I don't know who I'm preaching to you are not at a disadvantage you are not an imposter you are not without experience you have been trained in hard places. So when he goes before the Pharaoh, all he's got to do up here is what he was doing down there. All he's got to do is serve the man like he served that man. And when you're used to serving and you're good at serving, it doesn't matter what's put in front of you. You are never at a disadvantage. And he has the one thing the king needs. There are people in this building sitting there listening to me. You've got the thing the people around you need. You've got the thing your community needs. You've got the thing your company needs. You've got the thing your family needs. You just may not recognize it because you're in a hard place. You feel like God has forsaken you. God was the one that gave you the dream in the first place, but you're waking up behind bars every day. This don't look like what you showed me. Can we be honest? You ever get frustrated with your life, waking up, knowing the prophecy that's over your life. And then you look out and you say, this is not, don't look nothing like what you showed me. God uses hard places wherever your hard place is, if it's in your finances, if it's in your health, if it's with your children, if it's in your marriage, if it's in your business, whatever your hard place is, listen to me. God never wastes trouble. What you are going through now is being used by God because God uses hard. Places. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a praise. How could a holy, righteous, just God accept foul, gross sinners like you and I? How could He do it? How could he be justified in calling me righteous after all I've done? How could he be justified in calling you holy after all you've done? He was able to do it because of a hard place called a cross. With his darling beloved son pinned to it with nails in his hands and through his feet. Blood streaming down from his head back inside. It was awful. It was gruesome. But God was using a hard place. In your life, there's probably both. You probably got a reason to praise. And you probably got a reason to weep. But I'm telling you, When you look at everything in your life that's breaking your heart, that's frustrating your mind, that's pushing you to the edge, you got to remember, God's using hard places. The best stuff God did in scripture always came out of hard places, of pits with no water places of deceit and deception where they lie on you. Places of prisons of depression and anxiety. God uses hard places. And and, and he brought you here today to hear this. Don't give up where you are. And don't discount where you are. You are somewhere in the plan and the purpose of God. And this hard place, it's working for you. God's using it to develop something. God's using it to position you somewhere. God's using it to reroute you. God's using it to redirect you. God's using it to sharpen you, to shape you. God's using it to cultivate you. God's using it to train you for where he's taking you. God uses hard places. Lord, I pray for the hearts... In this room, I pray they would be able to see through your word. What they're facing has not escaped your purview. What they're facing is not outside of the realm of your authority or sovereignty. That you are actively at work in their hard place. I speak the balm of Gilead, the healing agent of God, to cover the hearts and the minds of the people today. Lord, I speak the encouragement that flows from the knowledge of your word and the tracing of your movement in scripture. If you did not fail them, you will not fail us. If your plan was perfected in their lives back then, it will be perfected in our lives today. Give us the grace. Give us the grace. Give us the grace. For the hard places we're going through. Cause us to be able to see and sense and know that even in the difficulty that you're working for us and that better is coming, that better is coming. I prophesy over your life right now in the name of Jesus that better is coming. Better's coming in your home, better's coming in your health, better's coming in your finances, better is coming. And, and, and listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. If you've been hurt real bad recently, let me let you know what you also got. You got infused and endowed with a favor from God that is going to blow your mind. For the brokenhearted in here, listen, if somebody betrayed you, if they hurt you bad, God will open doors for you that no person can shut. God will bring you into opportunities that you don't qualify for in the natural sense. God will increase you abundantly and bless you more and more. God will go before you and make crooked places straight. God uses hard places. I pray an awareness of the favor that's on your life would come to you. I pray that you would be forced to recognize in spite of the pain and in spite of the scars and in spite of the tears, there is something in me. God, put something in me. They can take my coat. They can take my stuff. The power's not in anything that I have on. The power is what I have inside of my heart and my spirit. So, Lord, let your blessings seal this word in your people today. Let your blessings seal these truths in your people today. Encourage them Spirit soul and body be lifted up in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Come on, give God a great praise. Come on, give him a great praise if you receive it.